Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Amobi, back again with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be discussing topics from around the soccer world and giving you our unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by your favorite team or sports site's voice on social media, Megan Reyes. Uh, we'll be talking about Social Media 101, leveraging social media to grow your team or brand, and my favorite, MLS versus MLSPA. So, uh, Megan, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. No, nah, no doubt. So first question off tops, what we ask everybody, when did you fall in love with soccer? Uh, it's an interesting question and it's an ever evolving answer. Um, I'm still I'm still learning, so I'm still falling in love with it. But I think the moment was when I, one of my first sports jobs was with the Timbers. So one of the very first matches I worked, I uh, was really my uh, intro intro into the soccer world. And I think I, for pretty much any team and league I could have worked in, I was very spoiled because that experience is obviously like none other. And so that's when I was like, I need to learn about this. Um, but it was an incredible experience when I worked there. No, nah, respect. So what did you learn, you know, being new to soccer, obviously in the States, you know, Portland's probably one of the top destinations as it pertains to, you know, soccer. But yeah. like, what did you learn? I just learned how passionate and like niche the culture is. I had no idea, even for uh, like American soccer, I just had no idea how much that people really embraced their club and really made it a moment of pride for the city. Um, I, I didn't realize it. I knew it was like that in Europe, but I didn't know it was like that here for certain clubs. No, yeah, that's crazy. Cause I can remember my first time playing for the Timbers and it was like literally, I, I I got traded there, and my first game there, I didn't even play. I, I don't even think I was on the bench, but like two fans like waited after the game to like welcome me, and I was like, I, okay, I, I'm not like that. I'm gonna be like a role player, but if y'all trying to like show all this love, that's that's respect. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned you know it took you a while to get into soccer. Give us some background, like where are you from? How did you get into sports? All that. Uh. So I I was born in New Orleans. Born and raised, diehard Saints fan, but I grew up in Idaho. Actually, a lot of people don't know that. So I grew up in the Northwest. Uh, didn't have I didn't have sports around me. There aren't really there aren't pro teams. The closest teams are in Portland or Seattle. Um, Gonzaga is nearby. If you want to talk college sports, uh, I grew up like ten minutes from Washington State. I went to University of Idaho. Athletic program is shit but I didn't, like I didn't have a sports influence or like teams to grow up around but um I have an older brother that I looked up to so much and he played baseball he was super into sports I wanted to do everything he did and so that's where I learned a lot from him and my dad um baseball was actually their sport but we watched everything and I knew I wanted to get into sports in college actually kind of randomly but uh always had that interest I'm Five one, I'm tiny. My athletic career was very short-lived. I quit in middle school. I wasn't going to make it far in basketball. I wasn't going to make it far in softball. But I kept watching because I, I really, for me, it was family time. And so that's why I loved sports. No, respect. So for anyone that's, you know, obviously we're going to get into it a little bit more. But for anyone that's, like, looking to get into sports, you know, there's so many different pathways to get in. What would be your advice for somebody? Uh, one piece of advice? I mean, I feel like you can give a whole Rolodex, but yeah. I, one could, I could give a whole another podcast about this, but probably learn as much as you can and meet as many people as you can. Okay. Respect. So obviously you're, um, you know, you're a star in the social media marketing branding space. Uh, how did you get your start in there? Uh, I don't consider myself a star, but thank you. Um, 
when when L said he was going to get you on the podcast, he was like, yo, we got to check out this girl's profile. She's like killing it on Twitter. Um, Maybe she's shaking and moving out here, man. Yeah. She's trying to be humble. She's trying to be humble. Killing it on Clubhouse, too. (laughs) Um, So I've been in marketing my entire career. It's what I studied. It's what my whole like sports background is in. Social is actually something I used a lot just personally my personal Twitter, my personal Instagram, and I didn't actually make it my career until last year. Um, when I joined The Athletic, it's at the time when I joined, it's crazy. I was employee like 30 uh, two years ago. Now, I think at least on the business side, not counting all the writers in the newsroom, I think there's like 140 employees or something like that. Um, so I was hired for a marketing role, but I got my hands dirty a lot in social. And then when I expressed interest in wanting to move to the social team full time, they just were like, we know that you can do the work. You've done it when you've helped us, but we've also seen your personal socials. And so like, we're not, we're not worried about the lack of experience, quote unquote. Um, So my actual professional social experience just recently started, but a lot of it is just because I, I just be saying wild things on Twitter. (laughs) Okay. So so for the folks that don't know you, like what, are some of your favorite wildest tweets then uh so okay the thing about my twitter is there's no rhyme or reason i just honestly talk the way that i i I talk and i actually do that on purpose uh i want my twitter to literally be a reflection of myself and i want it to sound authentic to me and how i would how i would speak so i actually write my tweets like i would be talking out loud to myself or to friends um, I want it to sound like an organic thought. So some like my Jared Goff tweet the other day was, I just say some of the dumbest things and it's always the dumbest jokes that are like me blurting something out that go viral. Okay. So there's no rhyme or reason. I feel like when people are like, how do I go viral? I don't know how you can. It always just happens unexpectedly, but it's always usually when you're being most authentic to yourself. Because every time I see friends do it, they're like, why this tweet? But it's because you weren't even thinking about it. You weren't putting that much thought and effort into it. No, I respect that. I think we're going to get into that later. Um, Just like breaking down how to be authentic and hopefully you can give us the secret sauce. Okay. Um, But you've you've had a pretty diverse background, you know, working in the sports world, how has your previous experiences helped you to like get where you're uh, at right now? Yeah. So like rundown of my background. So I, when I was in college, I interned for our athletic department and just got a lot of marketing experience uh, promotions. Again, it was a small school. So really just a lot of grassroots efforts. Um, Then I interned for the Timbers. And then when I graduated, I went to university of Oregon athletic department and then from there the warriors 2k the athletic and now i'm starting at blue wire next week um a lot of it when when i tell this story was i learned a lot of different things not by design so when i was at the timbers i was doing partnerships um when i was at oregon i was doing sales when i went to the warriors i was doing client services a little bit of sales but a lot of relationship building and relationship management And then 2K was also partnerships and the athletic was marketing and social. And so I didn't do that by design. Like I wasn't specifically seeking out certain functions and roles. It was just sort of what was a natural transition and what I was qualified for when I was looking for my next position. But I think what's really helpful to where I am 
and what I'll be doing at Blue Wire is uh, I have such a diverse background that I didn't realize up until recently. And even Blue Wire was like, you can, you're great at communication, you can do branding, you can do partnerships, you can do sales, marketing, social, like we're just gonna give you this role where you can do it all. Um, again, I didn't do that on purpose, but I think that diversity and all those different experiences did help me and will set me up for success because I can understand all different parts of a business. I can understand why social is important when you're trying to do a campaign or when you're trying to market. It should always be front of mind, not uh, the last thing that people think of, which is typically what happens. But because I can put on so many different hats and put myself in so many different shoes, I think that's what's got me to this point because I see the bigger picture. Okay, respect. So give us a rundown of what Blue Wire is if for the folks that may not know. Yeah, uh, Blue Wire is an up-and-coming sports audio network, so a bunch of different podcasts in the sports space, a lot of different verticals across all sports, um, still trying to figure out what that one franchise IP is going to be. Um, they did have the Freddie Adu story with Grant Wall that I think most people know of, and then they have a lot of um, niche uh, shows for specific sports. Uh, they also, which is really exciting, are partnering with a lot of athletes to do specific shows for them. So Meg Rapino and Sue Bird had one. Hopefully we can get them back. Greg Olson's had one. I think Baron Davis has had one. But it's what's really exciting is there's so much potential and a lot of athletes that we can partner with. So this goal is to scale out incredibly. I know. If okay, Kevin so where, when, how do we where do we send the two cents sports uh, two cents OC pitch deck to? How do we, uh, how do we situate it? I'm right here. <laughs> okay, we, got a, we, got, we got the set up right now. Perfect. Uh, so with that being said, um, what has been your best experience, you know, working in social, working in sports in general? You know, you've been at so many different companies, um, you know, doing amazing work. I'm sure you've connected with a lot of great people, but what has been your best experience so far? Uh, it's kind of like a two-part answer. My best experience was probably the Warriors. I mean, I was there from 2014, 2018. Uh, my first season was a championship season. Every every season I was there, we went to the finals, and it was just really once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's honestly the pinnacle of whether you're an athlete or you work in the front office. It was the pinnacle of what everybody wants in their sports career, and I didn't think I was going to get that at 23, 22. Um but I got a taste of that four different times. And so that experience is, is sort of the default. I think that that's the answer. Mm -hmm. But um, I think my time at The Athletic is probably the greatest because that's where I learned the most. Okay. Did you All get right. I did, too. Nice. <laughs> I quit halfway during the third season, and uh, I didn't get a third one, which was kind of bullshit, but it's fun. Did you feel bad because Kevin Durant came? Like, is that why you left? Or what, what happened? What? No. I if anything, I, I should have stayed for the rest of that third uh third championship. I'm I'm a I'm a salty Lakers fan. Uh so <laughs> it's I, showing. I, I, uh that that still that still doesn't sit well with me. Um all right, so what have been some of your worst experiences? You know, obviously uh you've been outspoken on different issues as it relates to sports, specifically women in sports, but um what have been some of your, you know, worst experiences, whether it's business, you know, anything like that, if you're willing to share? Yeah. Um, 
I, I think like a lot of people at some point in their career, like you, you have not great work environments. Um, so I've, I've definitely had work environments that weren't conducive to like productive career, or even just my own mental health or sanity. Um, unfortunately, like pretty much any woman that's ever worked in sports, I've definitely experienced misogyny and, uh, harassment, but not to the point of what other people experience. And so I'm fortunate in that sense. But honestly, I think just any woman in sports is one of their worst experiences is going to be just all the hurdles and hoops and things we have to jump through just to do our jobs. Um, I can't even pinpoint an example because it, it honestly, it just happens so much and it happens all the time. And the problem is, is a lot of the times we get very desensitized to it that we don't even realize how severe or how inappropriate it is in the moment until afterwards, because we're just kind of conditioned to believe that that's what we have to go through in order to have a career in this industry. Yeah, it's wild. I know, you know, there's a recent story about the New York Mets and there's a story about the New York City FC mm-hmm. and it's almost like kind of got brushed aside, but um, do you have any like resources that if, you know, we have a lot of ladies that listen to our podcast, if they were, you know, you know, going through anything, if they wanted to like reach out to somebody or someone to, you know, have someone to speak to, is there any resources that we could provide in our show notes or you could share now? Um, I mean, I'm always willing to talk through people like my, my DMs are always open if someone wants to share an experience or if they want to offload or just have someone that they can speak to about this like my dms are always open it's obviously something i'm very passionate about i I know a a ton of other of my friends and connections specifically women in the industry are the same way um i don't know about like uh organizations i'm sure there are organizations that exist but i think what i would just encourage people is is to talk about it so even if it's sharing that with a stranger or sharing it with someone that you think can relate uh i I will always hear someone out and I will always talk them through it. Uh, that's what it's all about. And um, talk about it uh, from a standpoint of you work in social too. So you're always on your phone. <laughs> uh, me and Elle, we're always trying to figure out like, you know, trying to figure out posting content versus uh, doing the show notes versus, you know, trying to get the guests. It's overwhelming. So what are some like tips of the trade when it comes to social media? You know, it's already stressful enough. It's like 24-7. It's never rest. What are some tips, you know, some self-care practices, um, productivity tips that we can use, um, that our audience can use as it pertains to just overload, overload, overload? It's hard. It's really hard. It's like, like, I have no answer. No, I can't help you. Okay. Um, No, uh, I I can tell you what works for me or what I try and do. The reason it's so hard is like, it's, it's also evolving for me. I don't, I'm trying to figure it out myself. I can pretend like I know what I'm doing, but I'm just like everyone else trying to figure it out. Um, I think a couple things, like when it comes to the phone itself, I put my phone on D&D almost actually half of the day. My phone's always on D&D. So that when I do, even if I'm, for example, like if I was working, um, doing a social thing, I put, I, I'm on my phone, I'm posting, you know, I'm tweeting and I put my phone down, even just me forgetting that it's on D and I don't feel as plugged in because if someone's calling or texting me, I don't know about it until I'm looking at it. Right. So it kind of gets me like one step removed. I, I like to keep my phone like on silent, pretty much like don't talk to me. <laughs> I need to, I need to unplug. Um, I also try to, uh, when it gets really bad for me, like when my social is very uh, overwhelming and is making me anxious, I actually remove the apps from my phone. 
And so that way, like if I'm doing something for work, it has to be on my laptop. I have to be doing work things. And if I want to mindlessly scroll on Twitter or Instagram on my personal accounts, I then have to go get my laptop. And it's more of just that like cognitive behavioral, the thinking of going to get my laptop to open my computer, to open Twitter, just so I can doom scroll. At that point, you've probably already talked yourself out of it or told yourself like, this isn't even worth it. So that's what I do when it's like, when I'm really overwhelmed and anxious with socials, I just remove it from my phone because we're so tapped in and plugged in all the time. A lot of the time, like our thumbs and our brains have muscle memory. Cause I'll notice that when I remove Twitter and Instagram from my phone and I'll move a different app there, there'll be times in day while I'll accidentally open like my Apple TV remote. I'm like, why is this open? But it's because that's where typically like a social app would be. And my, my brain is just conditioned to instantly click on it mindlessly. So I always just recommend like, honestly, unplug as much as you can. And if you can leave it on your computer, then you just have to think about it more and be more intentional with what you're doing on your social. As far as, um, the self-care when it comes to social, uh, don't ever read the comments. Uh, if anything actually gets really overwhelming, especially like when tweets go viral, I'm a big fan of muting the conversation. It's out of sight, out of mind. And I'm also a big fan of the block button. Like, How big's your block, block list? Uh, it's long. I actually went through it yesterday, randomly. It's long. Wow. Like, I, I just don't put up with it. Like, everyone has their opinion, but if you're going to, especially if you don't follow me and you're going to come to my page and just like talk all this trash that, I either don't agree with or don't believe in like block buttons free. It's my probably my biggest advice block buttons free. So I always felt bad blocking people, but now like I'll just do it liberally. I don't want to see you. Okay. Fair enough. So let's get back into soccer. Now okay. you mentioned you got into, you know, soccer through Portland Timbers, shout out Timbers. Uh, <laughs> but you are a Tottenham supporter. I know L's kind of hurt about these by this. He's an Arsenal fan. Um, so explain how uh, how this came about. Okay, so <laughs> it's very random. I uh, yeah, there's not a lot of Tottenham fans, so it's a right. uh, actually I I found a lot. I found my I found my corner of the world on Twitter. I'm surprised at how many people uh, will reply to my my tweets. I, I didn't realize, but okay. So I was a casual fan, and when the Athletic uh, expanded to the UK. Everyone was like, okay, so what clubs are we supporting? Like, do y'all have a team? Um, a lot of people did because uh, we had these TVs and couches where people would always be watching Champions League and stuff. So there was a, about a half of the company that knew what they were doing. And then everyone else, they're like, okay, everybody needs, everyone needs to pick a club. Uh, so we were, there was, I was getting pushed and pulled in a lot of different directions because I'm like, I don't know, guys, I'm a free agent. They'd be sitting at the lunch table trying to convince me, you know, sell me pitches of, elevator pictures of why this why this club whatever but through uh the influence of some of my coworkers, and also just like i will die for young mean son <laughs> i chose tano okay. and i'm here and also because i you know i just love to see my my asian brethren succeed and he's just such a lovable personality and then i also have my like weird obsession with jose so that's my answer i'm sticking to it yeah. but at the time jose was with man you yeah. So it just made it that much better. Interesting. So when they went to Champions League, was it two years ago, L? Were you like watching the game uh, that year? Champions League no. final. It yeah. was two years ago. Yeah. So on a scale of one, how big of a fan would you say you are of Tottenham? Seven. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. <laughs> so you support them more than any, uh, so say like Timbers or any MLS team? Uh, uh, I any of our feelings. Like, no, you're, you're, but I don't know. Like, as Sun, now. If Sun left, would you still support them? Huh? If Sun left, would you still support them? No. Okay. Uh, so she's not. She's, she's good with me. She's good with me. Okay, respect. Okay, fair enough. It's also just like incredibly on brand. You gotta love Sunny. Like, yeah. they are. They are exactly the type of team I support. Like they should be good on paper, but they don't have shit to show for it. And that's exactly the type of teams that I uh, tend to support. Okay, fair enough. It translates. Uh, it's the the pain and the experiences are all the same. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> uh, one thing that we do with our show, we talk about you know culture, fashion, style. Um, you know, L pointed out your dope sneaker game. How did that come about? How many? Pairs of shoes you got. Uh, what's your favorite? Uh, it's because of my brother. Literally all of my interests and stuff are because of my brother. So he was really big into sneakers. Still still kind of is, but he's a dad now. So he doesn't have the time or care to buy all these sneakers. So that's where it started. I definitely was wearing Jordans and Nike, like boys Jordans and Nikes in elementary school. Uh, so I always had that uh, affinity for it. I don't have that many sneakers now. I have probably like 10 or 12. That's not that many. It kind of is. That's not that many though. Um, <laughs> my favorites are probably my ones or probably my the gold Air Max 97s that I always wear. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, those are some grills of mine. I missed out on the last release, so I've been looking for those and the silver ones as well. I got lucky. I, I randomly, like a couple years ago, someone sent me the link and they're like, you should get these. And I didn't, I was like, okay, cool. And just bought probably them. Kid like, size, kid size, what? You probably wear kid sizes though, right? Is it that obvious? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, about to, he's about to pull back his words. Like, oh, my bad. No. Yeah, uh, so are you StockX or Go app or? You just uh, oh, I refuse. See, like, that's where I draw the line. Like, if I have to get on StockX or go and pay, like, a 200-plus markup for these shoes, then I probably shouldn't get them. Uh, I have some. I have self-control when it comes to that. Like, if I didn't get it on sneakers or when it dropped, then I probably shouldn't get these shoes. Okay. So we're going to put you on the spot. We know you're uh, very loved on Twitter. Uh, you got a lot of fans, a lot of friends in the social media space. But – Favorite soccer social feeds? Give us your top five. What do you mean? Like people I so follow? Like people like teams or like, how can I say it? Um, like favorite soccer Twitter accounts? Uh, there's going to be a lot of bias in this. It's going to show. That's fair enough. Uh, let's see. Favorite soccer. Who are my favorite? I have a list. I like to follow uh, Kayla Knapp. Okay. Shout out to Timbers. Um, very, I, very human being. Yes. Uh, I learned a lot from her just uh, as far as like social practices. Uh, Aaron West is always funny. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Teams, teams. Who does good team content? The Sounders, unfortunately, <laughs> do incredible team content. Their TikToks are awesome. Behind the scenes TikToks are usually like the ones that do the best. I know their social manager and he always gives me shit because he's like, when are you just going to stop? 
supporting the Timbers and just come come join the bandwagon. I'm like over my dead body, but you guys have great social content. Um, I got a I got oh Meglin Hannah got a shout out my athletic soccer writers Meg Jeff uh, pa Pablo everyone I'm gonna forget them but all of them they all book it into okay. that fifth one. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yes, that's a good list. That's a good list. Um, oh, what you got before we get into the topics? Or oh, actually, two truths and a cap. Yeah, next up, two truths and a cap. So, this is a game we like to play, um, where you give us three facts about yourself. Two of them will be true, one will be a lie, and then Moby and I have to guess what the lie is. Um, as we mentioned on past shows, I'm up. So, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at this show, at this game, obviously. So, I'm looking we're, forward. We're counting the official score as five to two at the moment. Yeah. Shoot. Okay. okay. Uh, I need. I need. I need. I need your help. I need to come back. <laughs> I'm a good liar. All right. Um, okay. I'm afraid of roller coasters. Wait. How? So do I say it, and then you guys guess yes or no, or do you wait till I say all three? Okay. I'm afraid of roller coasters. Uh, I can speak two languages. And uh, I played the trumpet as a kid. Oh, what you got, L? What, what what's the language? No. <laughs> I'm trying to get something. Okay. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. Trumpet is the lie. No, I'm gonna say roller coaster is the lie. Golly. So roller coasters. Nah, I'm going languages. Yep. Languages is a lie? Yeah, languages is the lie. Yeah, I don't speak two languages. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got one. There you go. Finally. Finally. I'm taking that. I did play the trumpet as a kid. I was not good at it. Uh, um, I figured because you, I mean, you grew up in Idaho. What else is there to do? <laughs> uh, you know? My parents put me in band. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you play any instruments, L, growing up? No, unfortunately. Did yeah. you? I, I watched the uh, drum line and I wanted to you know, be a, a drummer for like a week. And then I realized that's not, let me not, nah, it's not me. Uh, but I, we did, because uh, I was in uh, actually Catholic school. I had to do like, it's not the clarinet, but the other one. Quarter. Yeah, so so we did that just, but I don't really count. <laughs> Wait, the recorder, not the clarinet, not the blue, but the like recorder. The little, the little black one that's like plastic. Yeah. If it's plastic, it's a recorder. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't even know. I have to ask my mom but um uh, yeah that's it all right now let's get to it all right so let's jump into the topics here so fortunately we have a social media guru with us today um so for the unseasoned out there can you give us a rundown on the best use cases for each social platform we'll do a little social media one-on-one here okay so i guess let me i'll read them off and then you kind of give us the best use case for them okay cool. all right so facebook <laughs> um, I 
don't like uh, to sell things. <laughs> Honestly, I don't use Facebook. So uh, for ads and probably some analytics, I mean, you can use Facebook to reach like a different demo, which is typically the older demo, but I'm not the biggest fan of Facebook. Okay. Uh, Twitter. I think Twitter is fantastic for showing voice for building brand and for building community more than anything. I think it's a fantastic way to get exposure and reach. Okay. Instagram. Instagram. Um, you can do a lot with Instagram. I think as with like most social Instagram is literally a highlight reel, right? So if you're using it for like a pure business standpoint, it's a lot of times a great marketing tool just to show content. Um, you can do different things with it to engage. It's a little bit harder to engage on Instagram than it is Twitter, but I think Instagram stories, um, if used correctly, are a great engagement tool. It's also a great storytelling tool. Um, I think that's where some people don't use it correctly is you can actually tell really good stories um, in an Instagram story um, versus just like, I mean, if you're using it for your personal and you're just sharing random things or things you like, that's one thing. But if you're using it for a business to, to tell a story, I think that's where uh, people do it right. Actually, just off the top of my head, like Angel City FC does a fantastic job with their Instagram stories. They're always very engaging. There's usually like trivia and questions and they're just beautifully done. Like I know their social and graphic designer and she just does an incredible job with it. And I think that's a good use case of using it to build community, but to engage in the right way. That was a long answer. Nice. Okay. Uh, TikTok. TikTok. Love TikTok. TikTok is so underutilized. I will die on this hill that there needs to be more time and just resources from a business perspective put into TikTok. But TikTok's really good for um, behind the scenes. Uh, we were actually talking about this on Clubhouse the other day that uh, there's so many things you can do on TikTok. And I don't think a lot of people know where to start or know what people are looking for, but the how-to TikToks are always what do the most and, or do the best and where people learn the most, like organization hacks, like any sort of how-to. We all learn things like TikTok is literally a school. I've learned more things on there than I probably did in my entire college career. Um, but like the behind the scenes stuff is what uh, I personally like most about TikTok when I'm looking at it from a brand perspective and specifically when I'm looking at teams and leagues. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I literally just created a TikTok account like two days ago. You got yeah. it. It's hard. It's really hard because you can become like you can become TikTok famous overnight, and then the problem is, is it it requires so much upkeep, and it's really hard to sustain it. Like you literally need somebody dedicated full time to TikTok, and the problem is with at a lot of organizations, and then even. Just, teams and leagues is they don't even have enough people to manage Twitter and Instagram, let alone the resources yeah. to have one person on TikTok. But I think that's why it's so underutilized is because it gets just so overwhelming and you don't have enough time to, to manage it. Yeah, I definitely don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you like talk about that? Because you, we, we haven't even um, talked about all the all the social media apps, but okay. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. <laughs> How are we supposed to do it? Like I, almost, I burnt out on TikTok. I got to get back on it. But I did how, too. Do, how do we, you know, navigate that? If it's like a one man, uh, small, small uh, um, agency firm, or you know, by yourself. 
Mm, so what my recommend recommendation would be for that, like if you're, uh, if you have very, very limited resources, like grassroots, or honestly, it doesn't even matter the size of your, your company or what you're doing. Resources is always the problem. So what I would say is when you're creating content to create things that can scale across different platforms. So what you're going to put on TikTok, you're not necessarily going to put on Twitter, nor should you. And you're not going to also put it on Instagram. Like I think that's one thing that I personally would not recommend is putting the same content across all platforms because not everything is going to perform the same because they're different use cases and they're different demographics, specifically TikTok. But uh, to that note, like when you're creating the content to scale it, if you're if you're doing something, for example, if you're if you're having a shoot and maybe let's say um, let's say it's a photo shoot for something. And you're creating content on Instagram, so you're telling stories, you're showing things on Instagram stories, or you're, you know, taking pictures. Maybe you're uh, live tweeting, like, uh, teasers, right, to your accounts on Twitter. But then at the same time, you're creating content on TikTok for that behind the scenes. Uh, it's basically that when you go into each opportunity to create content, just keep all of those lenses in mind and just grab things for different, for different use cases. Okay. You're not going to perform uh, the same or well across all channels but if you're going in like okay i don't know why this comes to mind but like the buck super bowl parade if you have one person that's like okay i'm going to shoot content for instagram you shoot content for tiktok i'll you know i'll be live tweeting if you can just kind of tackle each one keeping all of that in mind it's probably going to be a little less overwhelming because you're not going to sit down and be like okay today we're doing tiktok content and we're like that that's where it gets overwhelming and that's where it gets really tedious and i think people burn out yeah, for sure. Yep. That's me. <laughs> I've burned out on TikTok too. I haven't posted one in weeks. It's too much work. Personally. Next line is YouTube. YouTube. Uh, I don't use YouTube a lot, but you can do some really cool series uh, on there. Again, I am just the biggest fan of using social to tell stories. So when you're doing it, like if you're looking at it from a sports lens, if you can do series on YouTube to tell stories, like maybe it's, maybe you're, maybe we get to learn about each player and maybe we get to see like their homes or where they're from. And if we're talking, like if someone's running it, like a team, like why did they start playing soccer? Like, you know, what, what do they love about it? Give me the backstory on them. I think it's an incredible platform for that. You can't really do that on, I mean, you could do it on IDTV, but if you want to do more like a long form video storytelling, I think YouTube was fantastic for that. Okay. And the last one is Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Um, I'm not skip LinkedIn, but. <laughs> oh, you're not, you're not fans of LinkedIn? Okay. I mean, after that, yeah, it's true, it's true. professional stuff, you know? Uh, I, I think Clubhouse is a great networking tool. I've only been on it like not even, I don't know, maybe two months. And I've met some really cool people and I've like already made other friends in the industry. Uh, I know everyone has their use case for it. Like some people use it for personal things or just hang out on there. But I like to go in and learn and just network from a whole ton of different people. But I think there's a ton of opportunity for brands and companies to use it as a marketing tool. And I don't know exactly what that uh, may look like or what the solution to that is, but I think there's a ton of opportunity as Clubhouse continues to to grow and people figure out a strategy for that. Like it's basically a live podcast. So if you can get even sponsors, 
and uh, you know partner integration in there, there's a lot of things that you could do on, on the brand side, but I like it. I don't know what Twitter Spaces is gonna do to it, but I like the most. Dope. Yeah, this has been really valuable since I kind of have to, I'm kind of tasked with running all the two cents social. I'm trying to, I'm trying to build a team, but you know, um, <laughs> now one man band man. So <laughs> yeah, having these breakdowns is like super helpful for me to kind of like wrap my mind around what should go where. So thank you for that. Of course. And speaking of that, since, you know, we have the two cents brand and a lot of our listeners actually have their own, you know, either media podcast brand or they actually run, you know, lower league soccer teams and stuff like that. Okay. How can they leverage social media to grow their sports team or, you know, media companies brand? So, you know, with your experience working with sports teams as well as media companies, um, I think it lends well to this subject. Uh, so if you were to take over social media for a brand new, let's say a brand new soccer team, right? A new like NISA team or USL team or something like that. Um, what types of things would you do to help them build their unique presence in their respective market, you know, using the various social media platforms? Um, depending on, well, no, I think it's applicable. I think one of the first things I would probably do is use social to use social as a, again, like as a community building, that is where a lot of, uh, you know, the success and where a lot of the passion comes from is people are just passionate about, like they're proud. I think an example I look at is like Oakland, right? Like when the roots came, like people were just so proud that Oakland had a team. So really tap into that and tap into the, into the, the community and the culture. So I would first use social as a way to, to reach the community. And using Oakland as an example, again, like when I heard about them years ago, I didn't realize that they were a soccer team. I, at first, I knew the brand, I knew the crest, and I knew the uh, like what they stood for before I realized that they were a soccer team because they did such a great job at um, building community. I think that's applicable no matter where you are in the States or no matter where you are in the world is to reach the, the community through social. Um, I would also probably use players or influencers so i would use players as influencers um especially depending on the age like the younger age like if you're looking at TikTok, players are literally influencers like there is going to be a generation of people that look at someone like alfonso davies and see him as the TikTok star not necessarily like the soccer player but use him as an influencer because now people are like oh i like this guy but like he plays for Bayern. like now let me go check them out it's a way to have a global footprint that i think is really important is is building the community and using your players and your team as as literally influencers as walking advertisements um and let's see, what else would I do? I would do so many things. Uh, <laughs> again, it's all just about the storytelling. Like, what do you want your what do you want your club and your team to stand for, and how can you tell that story on social? Because um, I think with so much content, and we're literally twenty four seven being bombarded with content, it's really overwhelming to consume. What's going to, for me, what's going to make me stop scrolling and to pay attention is something that's different from everything else. So if I'm scrolling and I see like, you know, a grassroots club and they have like a growing social presence, they're trying to grow it, but I don't 
see anything that's telling me a story or like, why do I want to stop and learn and follow? I'm going to, I'm going to keep scrolling. But if I, if you can catch my attention with something that's a little bit different than just like pictures from training or pictures of merch, then uh, you're going to probably retain that person and have a new follower. And potentially, obviously the hope is have a new, a new fan and a new supporter. Um, a lot of that too also comes with um, uh, having the right content, right? Um, I think, again, that behind the scenes content is really important. And I'm also a really big fan of um, user-generated content. So if you're a well or well-established or established enough team and you know you have games, if you can have, we call it UGC. If you can get UGC from fans that you can put on your social, that helps tie the, the followers and the fans and, and the social world back to your, to your club. I think where a lot of people, a lot of brands go wrong is that they use, they use social as a one-way communication tool to just talk to uh, the followers and to people that they hope will support or follow or become a fan or buy or whatever it may be versus a two-way dialogue. Um, UGC is really helpful for that because it helps fans feel heard and it makes them feel like they're a part of something. And I think that's where a lot of the fandom, regardless of the sport, is people like to feel like they're a part of something. So using UGC is an incredible way because they're like, I whether it's a video from a, a game or something, and then the team posts it to a story or finds a creative um, and aesthetically good way to post it, it's going to help that person feel connected. And then they'll probably honestly end up becoming a fan. You talk about storytelling and then working at the athletic. Um, is there any like soccer stories over the past couple of years that stand out? you know, from a social standpoint with like with teams or anything like that? Uh, I know like, I know Tottenham came out with like the documentary on Amazon. A lot of people really like became fans of Tottenham after that. Um, but is there anything else that comes to mind? Like stories at the athletic that did well on social? Oh, not even just the athletic. I'm just saying because you worked at the athletic, you, you know, big into stories, just like oh, story right. in general. Mm, I don't get the question. My bad. I'm saying like anything, because you talked about how social and, you know, if you were managing a soccer team, you know, it's all about storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since you worked at Athletic, you know, that's what you guys do. You guys tell stories. So from the past, you know, whether year, two years, is there any like soccer stories that come to mind that like a team kind of shared that you like liked or anything like that? I'm not even sure if I'm making sense. Um, okay. If I'm understanding, is there anything that a team has done well as far as telling their story? Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Um, yeah. So the prime example is a really good example. I like, again, think it's very, very important for, for teams and clubs to, to, to tell their story and to do their marketing in a really good way if you want to attract a, a larger audience outside of your market. And even just for myself as like a casual fan that was still trying to learn, still trying to find like a team to support when, you know, when the 
us at the athletic were like, okay, so who are you going to pick? What, what did I know? I knew the ones that had the best global footprint. Right. Okay. So I think it's important that, uh, they, it's really, really important to do this well, because that's how it, it's just instant brand recognition to your question teams that I think do this well. Um, shoot. Uh, oh, anyways. Okay. Wait, I went on this tangent. That's why it's important. Like things like prime and even some of the storytelling that's been done on Netflix around like managers and around clubs are really, really important because that's how you get the casual fans. So if there's any opportunity to do things like that, I think it's so important to get involved because it's the literally the best word of mouth and it's the best reach that like you literally, you can't, you can't pay for stuff like that. Like somebody told me on Twitter the other day that they literally became a Tottenham fan because of the prime documentary. That's fine. But like yeah. that's reach that you wouldn't get elsewhere because they were able to see uh, the personalities and the behind the scenes that you wouldn't, you wouldn't see elsewhere. Um, so I do think European teams specifically do a really good job at that. Um, I keep coming back to this example, but the roots just also do a really good job of this. Uh, yeah. They showcase their players really, really well. And they showcase the community really well. And it, like I said, for myself, I knew who they were before I knew they were a soccer team. I thought they were, so I honestly thought Oaklandish had just come out with like a really cool collection and was doing like really cool uh, merch before I, you know, did my research and figured out who they are and what they stood for. Um, so it's probably the best example. Some things will probably come to my mind in like five minutes. All right, cool. Yeah, my bad. I was asking that question like a million different ways. So <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? Oh, um, so thanks for that insight. Um, definitely some valuable information in there. As we all know, as you mentioned, as you kept coming back to, you know, storytelling is key. So being a good storyteller can really help elevate your brand, can really help take your brand to the next level, attract more people to your brand. So tell good stories, folks. Yes. Uh, okay, so let's move into our next topic. Um, I'll, I'm letting the Moby get his little moment off because Twitter, <laughs> Uh, when the MLSPA and MLS, I guess, came to an agreement on the CBA. And we've been talking about this over the past couple weeks. Um, they've been in, been in, you know, negotiations. Um, and Moby said something on Twitter. I told him to save it for the show. So we have an opportunity here to kind of get his shit off and, you know, I'll run it down. So the MLS and MLSPA have reached an agreement on a new CBA, which will, which we, which we will see extended through the 2027 season. So the primary terms of the new CBA, which are summarized below, include two years, a two-year extension on expanded free agency. So a two-year extension of the existing agreement. The new CBA runs through 2027, blah, blah, blah. As a result, the first 32 seasons of MLS from 96 through 2027, which will which have occurred without a work stoppage starting in the 2026 season, 24 players and older, players 24 and older with at least four years MLS service at the end of their contracts are eligible to become free agents within MLS, providing players at an earlier age for their careers with opportunities to negotiate with, with and move to different MLS clubs. Um, and then the next one is 100% compensation in 2021. So players will receive 100% of their compensation in 2021, including salaries and bonuses. So Moby, give us your, your thoughts and opinions on. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, first and foremost, I am happy uh, MLS is back. Um, 
you know, it would have been, it would have been unfortunate to have a lockout or a strike because um, they couldn't, you know, come to an agreement. And uh, for them to get 100% compensation, you know, they got families to feed, you know, you know, bills to pay. So that's that's important. Um, but signing a two-year extension, I can understand a year, but two-year, nah. Um, and when I made that tweet, you know, a couple of my buddies hit me up in the DMs and were like, hey, don't, don't say too much because, you know, a lot of people can't really voice their frustrations. But it just it doesn't really make sense to me. Obviously, you know, COVID is something that everyone had to deal with. But two years extension, you know, past the World Cup. And, uh, you know, I talked to a couple other folks that said there's no guarantee that, you know, soccer is going to grow in the States um, with the World Cup coming. Nah, that's a lie. I think, you know, there's going to be a spike and how MLS players can take that and use that to their, their, their advantage is very important. But with a seven-year deal now, um, they're kind of locked in. And it just shows like the power and leverage MLS has, you know, they made them renegotiate last year, MLS players conceded. They, you know, they decided to renegotiate this year, MLS players conceded. So at what point are you going to use the power that you have as players to really come together? And a lot of times, you know, as players, you know, I've been on the union um, as a rep, you know, both in MLS and USL. It's like, you got to think ahead of yourself. You know, we're not going to be able to play forever, but what you can see now it may not affect you, but it's going to affect the players behind you. So that's kind of my biggest thing about it. Every time they like every time MLS and MLSPA and they make all these reports, it's all uh, smokes and mirrors. They're always going to get the deal done. Um, yeah, but at some point you want to see like, oh, wow, they didn't get the deal done. Like, all right, these people are actually here to like actually say some things. But all those reports that people were doing, I was like, uh, I almost muted it because I was like, it doesn't even matter. You guys are going to get the deal done. You guys are going to extend another day, extend another 48 hours until MLS gets what they want and go from there. So, um, yeah, I don't want to complain too much. MLS is back. Yeah, so, well, yeah, let's go. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's tough, though, because you got, you know, the domestic contingent and then you got foreign players as well. So a lot of the foreign players – they didn't come to sign up for, you know, whatever is going behind the scenes. So as, as the MLSPA continues to grow and continues to figure out ways to, you know, break the language barrier and make sure the communication is on par, you will definitely see uh, not as much as a divide and then people coming together to finally use their leverage. That's all I got. Sorry. Okay. Do they have players unions in uh, Europe? They yeah they do, but it's 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 a little bit different, yeah. But they have like unions and uh, they they work together with the various FAs and stuff like that. Okay, but it's the leverage. They yeah, the, yeah, the leverage of being a free agent. It's like if I have a problem with my team, I call my agent and I say I don't want to be. Figure out a buyout and then they can go. Whereas an MLS single entity, there's different you know things at play. And then the leverage of, you know, at least for the domestic player, as someone that doesn't have leverage, you get a, you buy out and then where are you going to go? You know, you don't have a work permit. You don't, you, you're going to go to a lower division. Like, you know, how does it work? So all those things play a factor. So. Mm. Very interesting. Like, we'll keep an eye on this. Um, <laughs> I do feel like this affects, I know it's extended two years old. 2027, second half of the year, got to start, you know, negotiating for the next one. 
how do you think all these concessions that the players have made affects you know the next round of negotiations and that's what's so crazy about it seven years is such a long time the league is going to change so much like I, they can concede I, I feel like MLS is in a good place like they are happy they're clapping hands you know giving high fives because they were able to get this seven-year deal locked in obviously you know no one can predict the pandemic no one can predict what happened but the way they you know they're talking about the growth of the game you know there's going to be more expansion teams and you know this i don't even know how many teams it's at right now but i definitely see vegas coming um i think phoenix is coming don't quote me on that um there's going to be more teams more growth and yeah, it's, it's, seven years is a long time. The, the league is going to look completely different. Like when I started in 2010 to what it is now, completely different. And it's only going to, with the World Cup coming, with more uh, resources coming, more media exposure, uh, it's only going to continue to change. And hopefully uh, the MLSPA can, you know, continue to protect the players. Sorry, Megan, we had to... Yeah, I had to get it off my... Got to get it off my chest. Don't be sorry. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into one of our, you know, favorite parts of the show, um, no card, yellow card, red card. So this is a rapid fire segment of the show where I'll read off some news headlines, some soccer news headlines, um, and our guests as well as Amobi will give their opinions on said headlines or stories if they're familiar with the story um, using the soccer card system. So no card is I'm in agreement or I'm cool with it, you know, it doesn't bother me. Yellow card is I can go either way. Um, in red cards, obviously, I disagree or, you know, I'm not cool with said subject. Um, and also give a, you know, a small explanation of why you gave that card. So first up, no card, yellow card, red card. The MLS schedules pushed back to April 17th and Garber dismisses the notion of, transac of a transactional relationship with the MLSPA. So Moby, I'll let you go first since you probably... Uh, uh, I say, uh... I'll say no, no, no card to the being pushed back. Yellow card to the transactional relationship. Um, after everything that happened over the past year, you know, MLS players made a lot of concessions. You know, playing in the bubble, um, you know, having to figure out different situations around their salaries. Um, yeah, it's still they're still working on you know building that relationship. Uh, at the moment, it does seem a little transactional, but. Yeah, no card on pushing the bag. You know, we got to be healthy. Got to make sure all the precautions are in order and uh, going from there. Megan, what do you think? Um, I'm the same. No card. I think there's no, like, harm in pushing it back. And also yellow card on the other half because any – it doesn't matter, like, any type of relationship you build, anything between a league and the PA is always going to be transactional. Always. It doesn't matter the sport. No, okay. Next one. No card, yellow card, red card. NWSL season is underway, but it's not getting enough credit for their proactiveness. Proactiveness? Yeah, their proactiveness with, you know, getting everything rolling. See how MLS is kind of stalling with, you know, negotiations around COVID and stuff like that. But NWSL has been on their shit and they're getting things going. But they're not yeah. getting attention for for being a little bit more organized and you know taking care of their players and getting the season rolling. 
So would no card be that I agree with that? Uh, yeah, you agree with you agree that they're not getting enough getting enough attention for their proactiveness. I, they don't get enough attention in general. But yes. Yeah, I would say no card that um, they definitely have been proactive ever since the beginning. Like they were the first ones in the bubble. Um, they didn't have any cases, I believe. Obviously, at the start of their season, this uh, this upcoming season, they had five cases, but they handled it accordingly. And their season's due to start uh, within the next month. So um, no one's really talking about it. And uh, so no card. Uh, yeah, they, they aren't getting enough credit for sure. Megan, do you have an NWSL team? Portland. I feel like it like it all it, it defaults there always. Okay. If the Bay Area gets one, then yeah. Okay. Let's see. I root for whoever this one <laughs> plays for. Yeah. Obviously. So didn't she just sign with Portland? Yep. Oh, so, Portland fans now. Yeah, yeah. She's a baller. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh <laughs> next one. No card, yellow card, red card. Jose Mourinho claiming that Gareth Bell is injured. I'm going yellow card. Uh, just because I, I'm, so I'm a Mourinho fan as well from his Chelsea days. Uh, he's the special one. Um, he was begging for Bell to come before the season. Um, and then obviously Bell hasn't shown uh, as well as he, as he could have. Um, and they have like an ongoing back and forth situation. Sometimes he's injured, sometimes he's not, sometimes he's available, sometimes he, like, so I'm going yellow card. They got to figure it out. Maybe have, like, a, a, a heart-to-heart and <laughs> go, go from there. Couples therapy. Yeah, for sure, for real. Uh, I agree. And also, like, everything Jose says in press conferences is usually just, like, blowing smoke. So you can never really, like, you have to take it for what it is. Okay. Yeah, he's hilarious, especially on uh, Instagram. <laughs> His Instagram is top 10 for sure. All right, last one. Uh, no card, yellow card, red card. Neymar is injured <laughs> right before his sister's birthday. So this is an annual thing. You know, Neymar gets injured <laughs> so before his sister's birthday. He never misses his sister's birthday. So what do no. y'all thought about this? So on Neymar's side, I'll probably say yellow card. Like for him to annually find a way, I'm not sure. Sometimes they're real, sometimes they're fake. But he always makes his sister's birthday. And obviously, you know, our previous guest scams. He's like made a whole like conspiracy thread about this. Uh, and then even ESPN Jack kind of his swag when it came to their tweet today. Mm-hmm. Neymar always finds a way to make his sister's birthday. It's just so weird. Um, so I'm going a yellow car. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's what's funny to me. Uh, probably like a no card. I mean, hey, my birthday's in March too. So if my brother found a way to uh, <laughs> always uh, make time for my birthday, I, I would get it. Uh, I just think it's funny because it's literally like when everyone was talking about it today, like, of course. So it's like, I'm kind of no card because if we expect it at this point, then... It shouldn't even be a surprise if he's hurt. He might as well just put that in his contract at this point. But just put it in the contract. Yeah, facts. Yeah. All right, so that's it for no car, yellow car, red car for this week. 
Um, so moving along, we'll get into our black soccer history for the week. This week, we'll be talking about Gil Heron. So Gil Heron was born in Kingston, Jamaica and moved to Canada as a kid. He was also an accomplished track athlete and boxer, but excelled as a center forward in soccer. So in 1951, he got the opportunity to trial for Scottish powerhouse Celtic FC, making him the first black man to play for the club. His showing in the public trial earned him a contract with the team and the nickname Black Arrow. Heron is probably more famously known for his, known as the father of Gil Scott Heron, who from who is famously known um, from the last poets. But we want to give the Black Arrow his flowers for breaking barriers in the world of soccer. Um, so that's our Black soccer history for this week. No respect. And that's it. Okay, well, uh, with that being said, you know, Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to get on our show. If anyone wants to connect with you, uh, where can they find you? Um, and do you have any like last, you know, words that you want to share? Anything you want to plug? Yeah. No, uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. And sometimes find me on Clubhouse. Um, last words I want to share. Um, if we're talking, if we're bringing it back to social, I would just remind everyone, like I gave like a lot of different things that I think are helpful, but it's always just be authentic to yourself and authentic to your brand, your team, your club, whatever it may be. Uh, as long as you're authentic to yourself, that's always what's gonna resonate most with, uh, with casual fans and with the, with the public. Most definitely, that's what it's all about, be authentic. And that's what you get with Two Sets FC, your only soccer show unfiltered every Friday um that's our show for this week subscribe rate and review it helps us get discovered follow us on the socials at two cents fc check out our merch at two cents sports.shop uh, i'm rocking the hat l's rocking the hat megan will soon be rocking the hat uh it helps support the show and then tweet us your comments on the show or any topics you want me or l to discuss uh, that's it see y'all next time Thanks,